Okay, here we go. A uh, couple things for you. So next week, come and help with Christmas sharing. Bring some friends if you can. Everybody, you know, people are always looking for a place to kind of fit or get introduced or feel good about things. If you can bring a friend, I mean, it's very non-threatening, very good work. So uh, just come normally uh, at your normal time, right? At the normal yeah, time, 9 o'clock? Is 9, nine the good time? Uh, second thing is next door. A couple things about next door. One is uh, we got... We were inspected yesterday on the third floor and passed our inspection. So congratulations to all the people who have worked up there. Um, one of the problems in this congregation is the women don't show off enough. Like, you know, I mean, there's some of you who would look good in a tool belt. I mean, <coughs> now, uh, okay. So, uh, you know, but sometimes, you know, I mean, do you have a nail gun at home? Because, you know, you might want to, you know, you've got a drill, Mary. So here's the deal. We've been approved for rough framing. The task this Saturday will be install wall insulation drywall. How hard can this be? Come on, you, Leslie, putting drywall up? Oh, my goodness. Hey, we need people to cut insulation, which is not heavy. Measure twice, cut once. For the wall cavities, measure and cut drywall and install drywall. So you could cut insulation if you want. It would be great to finish all nine offices, tools needed, scissors, breathing mask, Luke. gloves, cordless drill, and a number two bit. So if you've got like a number two Phillips bit just lying around the house, Faye, come on over there. And a tape measure, okay? So nine o'clock. Hey, you have a tool belt. I remember Peter Roskam, now you're, you know, you're Congressman Peter Roskam. That's good, yes. Hey, they, they believe me, there are a bunch of men wandering around not knowing what to do. So if you want to come on Friday, the other thing is, what's that? I know it's normal. I know it's normal. That's what I'm saying. Hey, I'm saying step up a little bit. Take control of the situation. Um, as soon as they get that up, then they need to paint all the offices. So if you don't want to cut insulation or put up drywall, uh, Rich has this idea that he wants families to come in and paint offices. So Nolan Shield is in charge of painting my office right now. That's going to be great. I know it's only going to get painted about this high, but it's going to be great. <laughs> so I'm to walk in like, hey, way to go, man. I said, put him in there. There's no problem. He can go. Do, do what he wants. So, uh, yeah, you can do above. <laughs> it'll be like it'll be upside down. It'll be painted on the bottom. And, um, so if you can paint or if you can do other stuff, will you please tend those announcements? I mean, we're um, – there'll be an announcement about that. My guess is it's probably the – you know, whether it'll already be next – my guess is it could already be next Monday and Wednesday. They meet Monday, Wednesday at six, and Saturday at eight thirty. So they got it. But if they if they tape on Saturday, you could you could paint on you could paint on Monday if they get taped on Saturday. So um, uh, you know I don't know all the logistics. Like, do they want all the dust out of there before they paint anything? Are they going to? I don't know any of that stuff. But if you show up and ask them, yeah. So there's plenty to do anyway if you want to do that. The other thing is is. Um, Things are kind of popping next door, which is fun. If we would, and this is just a, do you have an interest? Uh, the 28th, which is the Sunday of Thanksgiving, is always a little bit of a down week because so many travel. How many are going to be here the 28th? My second question is, would you like to have a tour during the Bible study hour on the 28th? Is that fun or you've seen enough? No, no, the 28th of November, pushed way out, like four weeks. Does anybody have any interest in going wandering over and looking at stuff? Third floor would be open. The other thing that came in is the altar rails came in, which are stunningly good. I mean, what's what's been really good about this is mo I'm. Would you say I'm particular? 
See, so I am Mr. Easy. In fact, I've told my family, if there was a Mr. Easy holiday every year, like the 4th of July, hey, I'd be in the running for Mr. Easy. It's like Mr. America. I'd be like Mr. Easy Championship 2010. <laughs> you don't find that amusing, but I think I'm a shoe in <laughs> Pastor Ganey, I find you a particularly easy person to work with. I think, <laughs> see the thing, predictable, steady, no up, no down. Here it is. A couple of these things, little this, little of that, it's all good. She's heard it all before. <laughs> She's heard it all before. But you know what? Here's the thing. You've got to love our wives, don't you? Come on. You know, I mean, you, kinda, you can't do any. And, and pity them, yes. I mean, love them and pity them generally, so that's, that's all right. Well, we may on the 28th, we may just walk over and kind of walk through because things are, I mean, we're, you know, kind of, we're not that many weeks away. If you count weeks in your head, we're not that many weeks away from being in the new place. So we've got to, you know. We got to we got to get cracking. Part of it is there are people there all the time, but I mean, when you walk in and haven't seen it for a while, there's a ton of progress going. On. It looks like a church, so it's kind of fun. Um, in general, though, uh, if all things go well, you know, the lighting guys will start really soon, and then the floor guys will start. I think they wanted to start the eighth of November, so you know, and that's a big job. And um, the upstairs will kind of get done, and then after that, the font comes in and. That was what they said. Today, right this second? Okay, so yeah, the 8th of November, the guy wants to get going. It's a big area. To, to, so things are going to look cool really fast. But, oh, the particularity part. I mean, they're, you know, a flaw in my personality is when things work out just the way they should work out, I'm like, okay, good, let's get the next thing done. Um, but then every once in a while I'll have these, you know, aha experiences. And I've kind of had one several times with the stuff that's come. Like the altar, the altar railings are ten times better than I ever thought they could be. I mean, when you look at them, have you seen them? You sneak around places. You're kind of a creeper. No? I mean, if you've been over and seen them, when I looked at them, I was like, I was actually kind of like stopped in my tracks. I was like, I never imagined they could be that good. Have you seen them? I mean, they are stunningly good. I mean, you just look at them, and you're like, wow, that's actually going to work and going to be really cool. So... Anyway, we probably should do that. All right, anything else? Questions about anything else? So come to Christmas sharing. We'll probably take a tour on the 28th. Um, come and paint if you can. The, fast, the faster you paint, the faster we get moved in and stuff like that. Okay? All right, here's what we did last week. Um, here's, here's what we did last week as I remember it. We sort of talked about... You know, first, all right, so here's the thing. You read these mothers, and they're per not particularly interested in talking to you, to be honest. Um, this is kind of the way the church, there's a stream of this in the church. Um, you know, did, did people choose Jesus, or did Jesus choose people? Well, Jesus chose people. I mean, but he was pretty particular. I mean, before the disciples, he prayed about it, and then he chose them. So we have, in some ways, the model we have is not wrong. We just think about the church as very different. We still think about the church as a spa where, um, golly, people should select and we should please them and life should be good. In the early church, I mean, the New Testament church, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, Jesus talked about the narrow way and, you know, you were, you know, it, it mattered. And so these women are out there and people come to them and they, they make quite a journey and oftentimes they've given up, you know, a lot. Some of them have even got up a lot of money and even titles and they come to them and then they come to these women, which is not unlike coming to the men, they say, would you be mentor to me or would you be master? I mean, they talked very clearly that way. And then the women sort of said, ah, I don't really, not, not really interested in being anybody's master. 
So the person you want for a master is the, probably the person who's not interested in it. The person you don't want is probably the interested, the person who's always saying, I'm your master, if you can take that, that point. So um, mo a, lot of this, a lot of this reading right here is about finding a master rather than being a master. It's not like being a, a, a Buddhist where everybody becomes the Buddha. You know? So there's this famous Buddhist saying, if you meet the Buddha, kill him. You know? Which means, you know, in some sense, you become your own Buddha. You don't become your own Jesus. I mean, you're always, you're always looking for somebody who can push you to the next level. And that's very anti-American, and it's very anti-21st century. But you actually see that in these women. And I tried to suggest to you last week that that's really a gloss on um, the Sermon on the Mount. That you could read. She doesn't say this, but I was just struck as reading it. You could read the part I've given you as just a gloss or, an, or, or a, uh, you know, kind of an exposition. She's just telling you about what's in the Sermon on the Mount. So here's the deal from last week. It starts in Eden. Everything's really good. And you have this sane, ordered, holy life. These are all your words. I just took, took them down. And then the fall was to be ruined, dead, and to know evil. And I continue to be amazed by um, how knowing some things are just not good for you. Okay? There's some things you just don't want to know. And then the restoration is in Christ, who's way, truth, and life, and that pushes you to the new Eden. Now, that's sort of your cosmic, that's everybody's big picture life. Okay? Now you Google in on it. Click, 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 click on the plus side. Things get smaller. And again, you gave me this. So there's normal life that you sort of live like this, which is the life of faith. And I just want to note for you that normal life would be no chaos and no drama. And what I'm always, I'm always struck around the church when we, when, when we try to elevate, we, either staff or people, try to elevate something to drama proportions or chaos proportions, so therefore then somebody can solve it and be a hero. If there's drama or chaos, you're in the way of the demons. I mean, this is order, and it's very good. This is disorder. This is order. This is chaos. When you're at the point of chaos and drama, when people are screaming and yelling, when voices are raised, when insults are hurled, that is not normal life. That is demonic life. Normal life is the way of Jesus sort of pushing through. Now, everybody knows, however, that you have these spikes of trouble in your life. And you gave me four last week. If I was naming men's, I, it would be a very different list, I think. Men struggle with different things than women do. I mean, sometimes there's some overlap. But you gave me those four, worry, doubt, gossip, and control. There's probably more. And then what we got to last week was, you know, sort of what I posed the question last week was, can you see it coming? And sometimes when you can see it coming, you actually can't stop it, but sometimes you can shorten it. This is kind of your Tamiflu point right here. I'm starting to sniffle. My temperature's going up. I'm feeling a little bit achy. There's two things you can do. You can either, you know, ride it out the whole 10 days and feel miserable, or you can take a little medicine and maybe you can shorten it to two or three days. Or once in a while, it actually goes by. Do you, does that make sense? So part of the th what you want to do is try to have as many good days for Christ as you can. You want as many normal love God and serve your neighbor days as you can. You want as many days free of chaos and drama as you can. And if you see drama, I mean, I, I probably should have put drama and chaos up here. If you see drama and chaos coming, you need to short-circuit it. It's not enough just to walk away from it. You actually have to short-circuit it, and they give you, she gives you some examples on how to do that. So if you can feel it coming, there's some things you do that will diminish it. Last thing that we talked about from last week is, I, I sort of reminded you, or I sort of asked you, 
I found this in my own life. I have three or four large things that have been uh, perpetual temptations for me throughout my life. That is very normal for people. It's as different as people are, but if you talk to people who are kind of tuned into their spiritual life, normally they can say, I struggle with this, and I struggle with this, and I struggle with this. And what happens, as she reminded last week, it was very interesting to see it, you may get a grip on this one, but then the next one may come. And that was the very first thing you had. So pick up your stuff. We're not going to do the same things over, but I'm just going to kind of remind you. Um, You know, number one was there's a good deal of suffering in the Christian life. People come and, you know, they think everything is sweetness and life, and then they actually get to know Christians. Have you ever been around Christians? Ooh, join another club, right? Because our demographic, what's our demographic? Ick, right? So we say, who are we looking for? Put a big banner outside. If you're putting a big banner outside, what would, you, what would your banner say? Welcome sinners. Yeah, welcome sinners. So ick is our demographic. And then what happens is you put all this ick in one room, and then it leaks out on everybody's shoes, and then what do we all do? I'm so surprised that any Christian would talk like that. That's so stunning. I can't believe my pastor said that. I'm like, hey, we're all part of the same club. It's Club Ick. We should get a logo. It'll be great. See? And so so number one is the Ick is coming. You're living in the Ick. Okay. And here's the thing. People who don't admit that are just dishonest. They're just dishonest. If you don't admit the Ick, you're just, you're just dishonest. This is everybody you've ever known. And this is everybody you've ever known. And then we threw the pipe wrench in, which is, is, is if, you, you know, if you don't get baptized, your life might be a little bit easier. But that poor home baby, we baptized that child last week. It's, it's a nice little child. And then we do that to it, you know, because that's like drawing a little target on it and saying, you know, all demonic activity, focus here, right? So the number one thing is she says there's going to be trouble. Now I just want to shoot you across the page, not to what she says. So see the part that's number one, Amma says? right? Just move your hand right across the page. And this is commentary. The Amas knew, we didn't talk about this last week, but it would be the next thing to say. The Amas knew the power of thoughts to encourage, affirm, be creative, move, and nourish. Okay? They can also move one toward discouragement, despair, anxiety, and depression. For some reason, I woke up this morning thinking about the text where Jesus says, um, maybe because I'd read some of this yesterday, don't be worried about your life, what you eat, what you drink. I mean, what's the best reason not to worry, just in general? So if worry is your thing, if this is your deal, what's the, now, what's the rational reason not to worry? And then I have to, then Kirby helped me with my lesson last night by watching 30 Rock, which I'm always indebted to her for. So a rational person, if you're, if you're rational, and frankly, I'm becoming convinced there are fewer, fewer, ra- there's hardly any rational people. I know about seven. So the rest of you, don't worry. We're going to come to the emo section in just a second. But if you said to a rational person, don't worry, why would a rational person not worry? According to Jesus. Why? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't work. The bottom line is worry doesn't work. Right? Yeah, you don't guess right. Exactly right. You don't, I mean, so you spend, you just waste your life. Worry, worry doesn't work. There's no way. Jesus says, why do you worry about stuff? Because you can't add one minute to your life. Or you, or sometimes it's translated, you can't add an inch to your height. You can't, I mean, so the basic thing for you who are rational, 
And wor if worry is your trouble, worry doesn't work. Okay, now for the emo side of things. So Kirby's always helpful too. So did you watch 30 Rock last night? Because basically, you know, all your biblical theology you can get between 7 and 9 on any night <laughs> if you have enough channels, okay? So, so what did they say about the guy? He said, he's completely irrational. So what did they say? Oh, yeah, they said, the only thing irrational people understand is fear. So then they scare the heck out of this guy. I'm thinking, that is perfect pastoral theology. I'm like, here's the thing. If you're irrational, I guess we should be preaching about hell just a little bit more. So you people are worrying too much, you're all going straight to hell. Okay, now have I covered the landscape here? Yeah, okay, if you're nodding along. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But in some sense... Yeah, I wish we could, uh, you know, the good old days when they used to have a sinner's bench, for example, or, you know, right? So you have to be able to see what's coming, and you have to be able to intercept it, okay? One of the things that is underappreciated, um, look at this next one. Fasting and prayer, there should be breaks, the verb is wrong there. Fasting and prayer break, they break. Very spiritually sound of you, Carol. Fasting and prayer breaks the cycle of thoughts that drain one of life. So why do you say your prayers in the morning? Because it breaks the cycle. Boom. It sort of truncates it, and guess what? You get to go right over here. This is like being pregnant at Disneyland. You get to move to the head of the line. Have you been pregnant at Disneyland? My advice to you is always take a pregnant woman to Disneyland. I mean, if you don't know a pregnant woman, find one. Because, you know what, if you go to Disneyland, what do you get to do? Go to the front of the line. See, the thing is, is <laughs> that is one of the lines that you get to go. But actually, I don't know that you actually can get to go on the roller coaster. Did you ever go to the roller coaster line? But your family and friends can. So here, you go to the front, and then you step off and go to the bathroom, and they go on the roller coaster. This is like loving your neighbor as yourself. Holy cow. And you know what I want on Mother's Day? Don't say it, Carol. Don't say it. <laughs> oh, boy, okay. Don't say it. There's no point. You know, I've told that joke like ten times. It never <laughs> To you. So I'm going to tell you upstairs, but the rest of you, I'm not telling you because no mothers ever laugh. Okay, so here you go. This is what happens with your prayer and fasting. For example, a disciplined life interrupts the temptation. It just does. So now here's the thing. It's not magic. Why does a disciplined life interrupt the temptation? Why does it do that? Any ideas? What happens when you pray and fast? It does. It does breaks your thought cycle. Yeah. So you think it resets your it resets your clock. Boop. Resets your attention, right? What else? Right. So you think about how nice your husband is, or how much you love your kids, or what you want to clean next. Or yeah, I had some other examples, but if you want to use that one, go ahead. No, I'm just, you said, I said I'm a little nervous about the future, and she right. says, I've lost a client, right. even though they were happy with how much they lost for this money. And she said, it's always worked out for you in the past. It is actually fascinating. And, yes, right. Right. And in that, you remember that that's why remembering is, is a synonym, is the same as faith in the Old Testament. Mm 
Remember, when you go into the promised land, remember God did this and God did that. God called Abraham and God brought you out of Egypt and he just, he just emptied the Red Sea so you can walk across. That's what, so right. So worry doesn't work. But here's the thing, ritual and discipline do. Hear this in the right way. I just mean saying your prayers and fasting. So why do they do? They divert your attention. They remind you of other things. What else? Yes, please. Good. Right. 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 So the simplest way you can say it is, Jesus touches you. In those things, Jesus touches you. And the touch of Jesus matters. And of course, with his touch, he gives you his Holy Spirit. When his Holy Spirit touches you, he gives you Jesus. It all works. So here's the thing. This isn't a great mystery. Jesus is standing there saying, I'd like to interrupt your cycle for you. I'd like to interrupt this, this, this um, back and forth. What I'd like to do, and here's the thing, the more clever you get in your spiritual life, maybe you can interrupt to here. Maybe you can interrupt to here. Okay. Now, when I'm, when I'm talking about interrupting it, I'm not actually saying to you that magically everything will go away. Because, you know, if it lands you over here, the very first thing that's, that, no, the very next one that we read says, hey, do you remember this? If Satan figures out this doesn't work, he just moves down the road to this one, right? Do you remember that from last week? That's the next one. So the first thing is the Christian life is always going to be a struggle. And the second thing is what you're doing is you're diminishing the power of evil in your life. You can't stop it. You have it inside you. This is catechism stuff. Somebody asked me the other day, you know, if we could sound a bit more like Lutherans. Yeah, I can recite the catechism from memory for you. It's the devil, the world, and our flesh. The problem is people have recited that for 50 years and they have no idea what it means. So if you say, why is there trouble? The devil, the world, our flesh. Justification by grace through faith. Yeah, we believe all that. The problem is the simplest thing to say about the Eucharist is Jesus physically touches you. If you can just say it in four words, Jesus physically touches you, then all the Bible stories come flooding in about what happens when Jesus touches people. So you tell me. What happens when Jesus touches people? Just tell me stories. What happens? Yeah, people, blind people see. Sick people get healed. Crippled people walk. Dead people, dead people rise. Deaf people hear. Dead people rise. People who are sinners get forgiven. People who have demons are freed. See, the thing is, you know all this, but you have, to, you have to, if I just say to you, it's the devil, the world, your flesh, I'm right, but you don't know how to apply it in your life. So you, I put it to you in a different way. The ritual, the liturgy, saying your prayers, the Eucharist, Jesus touches you. You read the scripture and Jesus touches you. That's gaining his whole dissertation. For you who think he's overambitious about the Eucharist, his whole dissertation is how the preached word is the same as the Eucharist, that Jesus touches you in the preached word in the same way he touches you on the tongue, he just touches your eardrum instead of your tongue. You know, it's a six-inch move to the left. Okay? So what happens is, this is why you then, knowing this about your life, now I've just kind of put this together with being a desert mother, you know this about your life. If you know that your life looks like this, okay, if you know, and this is normal life. There are people whose whole life is just at this level. Do you know any people like that? Because some of them are going to be at your house for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Okay? They live their whole life right up here. Right? I mean, you do. Everybody's got, you know, well, everybody's got people coming for Christmas, and their life is right up here. But if you know that this is your life, okay, and you know that everybody gets this, and if you know that this can be interrupted, then what would the proper thing to do be? 
And how do you interrupt it? Go to the Eucharist, say your prayers, read your Bible, get with your friends, and speak and think about things that uh, move people toward being creative, nourishing, affirming, encouraging. You get this? See how easy this is? The Christian life, the mystery of the Christian life is not what to do. So if you bump into somebody who's going to tell you the mystery of the Christian life, be very afraid, unless the mystery of the Christian life is Jesus. In Colossians it says, the mystery of the Christian life has now been revealed. The mystery of the Christian life is Christ. Okay, The mystery is that the Eucharist can touch you and interrupt this, and that you can go on and have a normal life. Does that make sense? You getting this? So now I just pose you the practical question, which always vexes pastors, which is you're all not along, and you seem like rational people whom I don't have to scare. So my question is, why don't people come to church every week where the Eucharist is there every week, you see? Or why don't people say their prayers every day? Because this is where the ritualistic, if you can hear it in the right way, disciplined life comes from. Why should you get up and say your prayers in the morning? You know why you should do it? It puts you right here. Because if you know this is coming, if you know the train is coming at 536, you can go ahead and get off the track at 529. It's really okay. Like, you don't have to wait till it's bearing down here. And then you can see the light. You can just go ahead at 529. You go ahead. I'm always struck by how people cut in front of the, in Wheaton, they just run across regardless of what the traffic is. I'm like, why do you do that? You know it's coming. Get out of the way. So here's my thing. This is the most practical of all advice. You know it's coming. Why wouldn't you do this? If you know you're going to be, I'm coming to you, if you know you're going to be miserable at this point, if you know you're going to be miserable here, and the third commandment, remember the Sabbath day, translates into, that's your catechism way of saying it, I know it too, you know what that translates into? God really, really, really wants to interrupt this cycle and help you out, and he's promised to do that every Sunday, and by the way, at St. John, you can come every day for the Eucharist. So I'm not saying you have to come to the Eucharist every day, but I'm just saying, why wouldn't you do that? Even if you come every Tuesday or if you come every Sunday, why wouldn't you? See, that, this is what always mystifies me. And then as a pastor, you say to people, come to church, and they're like, what? You know, I come once a month. And I'm like, yeah, and then your life is flipping like if I had a marker. You know, your life goes like this. You know, and then, then, you know, the lawyer calls me or the police calls me or you come in for an appointment or you're really crabby or really stressful. And I'm like, doesn't this, I mean, is this, could this be more clear? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? So, okay, well said. Now, um, I have a double question. You can answer either one or you can punt it to the next person. So my question is, Everything you said is fine. How do you get past that when you have a little bit of faith? Because if you just throw up your hands and say, I have a little bit of faith, then you're going to end up right here. Right? Okay. So the question would be, if you have a little bit of faith, what do you do about that? And then, well, let me just, let me just pose it that way, because I don't want to give too much away. So Let's just take the very practical problem. I think that can be a fair way to talk about this. So we lack faith, or we have a weak faith, or sometimes we have no faith. 
So what's the answer then? Because if you do nothing, here's where you're going. Okay? I mean, that's going to be, if you do nothing, it's, it's not this. If you do nothing, the way you're ta- talking about it, and you're talking correctly, I don't, I'm not criticizing, I'm saying you're right. That's where you're going to end up, okay? So now what, now what do we do with that? Or, anybody else? Oh, not by me, by, by him. I mean, he's basically telling, this is, I mean, you've heard this before. Come to me, all who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So just translate that to, come to the Eucharist, and I'll touch you. See? I mean, this, the problem with us is we can't really translate, we have great difficulty translating very basic Bible texts into very basic Bible action. Okay? And as soon as we say action, then we get emails about, saved by works or grace alone. Yeah, I get it. Because here's the thing, I'm even uncomfortable talking about faith. I just want to talk about Christ. We're basically, when we don't come, we're saying to Jesus, you're not going to get it done. Right? You're basically saying you're not going to get it done. Forget even about any talk about yourself. We're just saying it's a basic, you know, one of the problems is the disappearance of logic. But basically, Jesus did it for Adam. He did it for Noah. He did it for Moses. He did it for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He did it for the children of Israel. He did it for Jesus. He did it for the prophets. He did it for the 12 disciples. He did it for John the baptizer. But guess what? I'm a one-off. He's not going to do it for me. I mean, everybody else who's ever lived in the church, he does it for, but I, for some reason I'm an exception. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm lie awake and worry a lot. Right? See, that's, what, I mean, that's how we talk, right? Which is exactly what you've identified. But here's the thing. His, if I say to you, Donna, you've got to do something, then you've got one more thing to do. Here's what I'm saying to you. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weak and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Really, where? At the Eucharist. Why? Because he touches you physically. What happens then? Do we need to rehearse again? The blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, right? This makes sense? This is, and I just want to, this is what is meant by the disciplined life, or a, if you will, a monastic life, or a liturgical life. This is what we mean. All we mean is the regular exposure to Jesus. All it means is getting Jesus on you, right? That's all we mean. But you have to talk about it in a way that it's regular, okay? And this is why we say stuff like, read your Bible, say your prayers, you know, make your tithe, come to church. We're not telling you to do that because we need a lot. We're telling you to do that because it's good for you. I I think I told you I had somebody in, and uh, it was a brilliant little thing, uh, a person who just said to me, I just figured out, Sin's not good for me. I'm like, you know what? That is brilliant. I mean, that you've just figured out, it's not, I do this, I do this, and then this happens. Wow, sin's not good for me. I'm like, way to go. Talk about being able to talk about the basics in life. It's just not good for you. You know, why shouldn't you worry? It's just not good for you. Why shouldn't you gossip? Why shouldn't you try to control everything? Because that's what witches do. That's what witches do. They have spells so they can control everything. That's what witches do all day long. They try to control everything. You wouldn't want to be a witch, would you? Except on Halloween. All right. Now, we went a long way there. Still a question or no? Right. You've just spoken like a heroin addict. I mean, did you ever, one of the coolest, in fact, I should go find this. 
you remember Robert Downey Jr. when he's really struggling? And he went for the judge in L.A.? Do you, in Time or Newsweek somewhere, there was a description of his. They actually quoted when he got in front of a judge. And he, said, he got up and said something like, he said, the difference between you and me is you just, you just don't know what it feels like when somebody blows cocaine down your throat and you, what you feel like. He said, if you've ever had that feeling, you know why I'm the wreck that I am. And he gave this great description of being a drug addict. It was, when you read it, it was kind of like you couldn't help but admire and pity him at the same time. He knew exactly who he was, and he had no ability to stop himself, it's, which is exactly all you've done is taken the edge off a little bit. That's exactly how people talk when they molest children, when they use drugs. That's exactly how child molesters talk. Yeah, it's, it's this rush and blah, blah, blah. I mean, talk, go talk to a child molester. That's exactly how they talk. That's exactly how heroin addicts talk. But when Christians talk that way, we just take the edge off it, and we think it's, we think it's A-OK because, what, it's just gossip. It's not molesting a child, or it's just you know, stealing a little bit from work or cheating on my wife, and it's not really blah, blah. I mean, here's the thing. That's how slippery it is. You've given a great description of it, which is now back to Donna's thing is, you know why you need to interrupt it? Because I'm not putting this on you. Because you end up like that. You end up saying about your sins, man, they are a lot of fun, to which I then remind you of uh, Capon's nose in the meat slicer, right? Do you remember? Okay, we'll run it again in the thing. Do you remember what he says? He says, you know, Everybody thinks they're having a great time when they do X, Y, and Z, but he says, then you wake up the next morning and you do it again. He said, when you do it again, it's like putting your nose in a meat slicer. You know, you think it's a lot of fun. You think it's really interesting. Everybody always wakes up the next morning. And that's what you have to remember. You actually wake up the next morning and your life is ruined. Exactly. That's the whole point. Yes, please. I don't, I don't remember, but you too? Oh, yeah, okay, good, yeah. Okay. Yes, right, okay, good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I see, we were talking about stuff is bad, material things are bad. Yeah, I, although I will, I want to pull you back out of that. Things are just a neutral. I mean, things were created good. Everything's good to start. It's like money. Is money good or bad? Money's a neutral. Depends how you use it. If you use it to feed poor children, it's the greatest thing going. The church has failed largely because of money. I mean, <laughs> I find this silly now, but when I when I had the you know my interview here, when I had the call, I said at my first call, which you don't have any choice from, you go from the seminary. I asked them to send me the minutes for ten years. About seventy-five to eighty percent of every discussion in the church in the previous ten years had been about money, right? Okay, you want to have a really good church? You want to have like a church that's ten times better than you have? I mean, I'm just being honest to God, serious with you. If you want a church that was ten times better than you want, it's really simple. What's the fix? Everybody tithes, and you'll never talk about money again. I mean, if you want to completely change your church, you comp- I mean, I mean, completely change it. If you want to completely, if you want your focus to be outward, if you want to do a lot of good works for the people, there's Jesus tells you there's a very simple way to do that. You tithe, and you leave something extra for the poor. So you give a normal tithe, and then you remember when they reap in the Old Testament, you remember they never reap the outside of the field? They always leave this. You know, if this is your lot line, and you got an acre, you only come about this close to the fence, and as soon as they move out, what happens? The poor people get to go in there, and they can have whatever they can pull. 
And every field was reaped that way. That's the alm. You brought your tithe out of your middle bit and you left the, it's a great image. Here's the thing. What have we talked about, I mean, honestly, for the last eight years at this congregation, what have we talked about more than anything else? Money. What a waste of time. What a flippin' waste of time. What a waste of heartbeats. What a waste of life. I've gone from 45 to 55. I mean, I've gone from 43 to 50. Just talking about money. What a waste of my life. I would love to have the last 10 years back. What a waste. Because, now we'll go back to your thing. The same people who can't believe that, that prayers make any difference, can't believe that giving makes any difference, can't believe that going to the Eucharist makes any difference, can't believe that reading the text makes any difference, right? Because we sum at base level, we think we can do better with our money than Jesus can. We think our prayers we won't make any difference. We don't believe the Eucharist really touches us, right? That's very honest. So you don't, if you don't realize the damage that sin does. So here's the deal. We're going to institute like the police do. We're going to have a ride-along program from now on. Okay? So we're going to have a ride-along program at St. John. You can come with us and you can just hang out. You know, have you been in for your physical? You know, and you go in your physical and then the doctor, there's some kid who's about 12, and they say, this is an intern and you're going to take up all your clothes and we're going to poke and prod you and would you mind if she watches? I'm like, Whatever, all matters good, but you're thinking to yourself, you know, uh, you know, yeah, it's a ride-along pro. Yeah, I'm okay. No, I just, just kidding. I don't really have anything. With. So here's the thing. I mean, we'll just get a ride-along program. From this. So if, if you come in, Donna, you can be first. We'll just say, you come in and say, I got some things to talk about. I'm like, hey, Donna's just on the ride-along today because she'd like to see really how icky you are, okay? Because we need to get our ick factor up so that we get our grace factor up, which you understand if you're old Lutherans, understand this law and gospel, right? This is just law and gospel talk. This is just the old, law is just the ick exposer machine. And the gospel is, hey, let's clean that mess up, right? <laughs> well, here's, here's part of the problem. i just be real honest with you, since we're all about honesty. Kumbaya. Come on now, everybody. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing about Lutherans, you know. They don't read their Bibles. So in Acts 2, when everybody tithes, now this is, you're not going to like this, but this is, the way that, this is the way the Bible is. What do they do with the money? No, they give it to the pastor, and he has, he, this is true. This is, uh, Claire's choking on this, I know, but here's the thing. Sorry, Claire, we, we used to be such good friends. The New Testament model is they bring their money, and they give it to the pastor, and he does whatever he wants with it. So guess what? You could have a thing where your pastor's a very bad sinner, but that's not usually the normal problem, okay? So the biblical model is you tithe, and the pastor has complete control over that. That's the New Testament model. It's true in Acts. It's true for Paul. Read the text. Of course, that text is inconvenient for us, or I should say all those texts are inconvenient for us. So what do we have instead? A voters meeting, a budget process. Then we argue about whether the pastor could know how much people see. Then we have special interests. Yeah, and then you get a fight. Why? Because... You didn't do it the Jesus way. So, yeah, and then the pastor, if the pastor's smart, he will say, he will do what's the next thing in the biblical model. He brings a bunch of wise men and women together who are recognized for wisdom in the congregation, and he says, this is what I think we should do. So Paul says, they're starving to death in Jerusalem. They're Christians too. We can't just let other Christians starve to death. What do you think we ought to do? And then they pray about it, and then they say, you know what we should do? Let's send one of the young pastors and a couple of good lay people with some money right now to Jerusalem. Everybody goes, okay. If 
that's what you mean by voters meeting, I'm all over that. But that's step number three, not step number one. Okay. So, yeah, so a, you'd be a stupid pastor if you would have all the money and tell nobody what you do. The right thing would be, would, would be the pastor would have all the money and have utter transparency. And then everybody would say, they may not always like it, but it would be utterly transparent. I'll tell you a good story. You got five minutes? Let's just, we're all just friends today. There's this thing called the Senior Pastors Discretionary Fund. When anybody wants to really get after me in a voter meeting, they raise their hand and say, what the hell is that? <laughs> so I had this very strange experience once about four years ago. Um, <clears throat> unsolicited, within 30 days, when the economy was really going well, and I'm going to fuzzy this up for you a little bit, but I had um, a couple of people, independent of one another and without my solicitation, come to me and say, whoa, I am rolling in cash, and here is $10,000, $25,000. There was a few people who gave me a couple of very large checks. Do with it what you want, the biblical model. To which I said, what? No, because this is going to haunt me the rest of the time I'm here at St. John's. And I had this back and forth with these people. It was really interesting because it wasn't solicited, and they all came. It was right when everybody had a lot of money. And I said, you know what? This is going to have to go through the books. As soon as it's on the books, what are we going to name it? Name it the Senior Pastor Discretionary Fund. You have full discretion. Don't. And to a person, they said, don't tell me what, we do, what you do with it. You just do some good with this. Well, this number got up to like, in about 30 days, it was like a gift from God, got up to about eighty or $90,000. It was just this weird thing. So suddenly, I had eighty or $90,000. The first thing I said was no. And then the people said, yeah, you should take it. And I said, I don't really want to take it because it's just going to cause problems for me. And they said, yeah, but you can do some good and we can trust you. Besides that, it's our money. And it's above our, and it was only from people. All the people who gave it to me were already tithing. So this was like an above and beyond thing. And I said, you know, this is going to come back to haunt me. But I said, here's what I'll do. I'll keep, we'll, we'll sort of put, they said, to a person, they said, don't tell me what you're doing with it. And I said, um, okay, but I will keep a file and I will tell two other people what I'm doing. I'll keep a very crisp file. And from time to time, I'm just going to tell you what I'm doing because you told me I couldn't, so therefore I'm going to because that's the Lutheran way. So that's been on the books for a long time, that money, and I've solely been whittling that money down, giving it away to things. Now, um, but what happened in our last troubles, of course, then among the things that were charged against me was I was squirreling away money on the side, to which um, I always knew if it went straight to hell, there'd be a couple of people who would say, and I have the canceled checks, here what I gave it, and I have a file, so it's all good. Um, but on the, that's the negative side. On the positive side, here's what I've done with that money. I've had students, I've sponsored conferences on the languages for, for seminaries. I've had students study in Australia, Germany, England, uh, Rome. These are all seminary students or people at advance. We've paid for honeymoons. Um, uh, gosh, can you help me out here, Ganey? What else is uh, what else is we've paid for? We pay for you. Sorry, we pay for computers. We pay for students who go to college who couldn't afford it. We've paid for people to have their cars fixed. We pay for food. We've paid for. I mean, I can't tell you. I've done more good with that, and I've probably only spent about thirty thousand dollars of it, partly because it was a designated fund, and when everything went south, all the money was taken out of those. And so a lot. Of, the part of the reason it's on the book so long is that. People borrowed the money out, and it wasn't really there. It was an illusion. But 
that has been my probably my greatest joy uh, as a pastor because there was just money there in line to do good. And the, the agreement I made is I'd never spend it on myself. That's how it should work. But we're so far, because people can't trust their pastors, because people are too tight with their money, because people want to assume the best, because there's always a conspiracy theory, blah, 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 blah. But there's two discretionary funds. When I came, there was no money for the pastors to spend in any way. So here's what you have to know about St. John. Pastors don't have a vote. Pastors had no money. Pastors had no authority. And yet they were supposed to run the whole place. Couldn't hire, fire, raise pay, lower pay, review, do anything. I know. I learned from Ted Lesh. Ted Lesh said in his, in his swan song, he said, Ted said, every pastor worth his salt has a coffee can full of money under his desk. Well, when I got here, there wasn't one. So here's what the pastors did. We said we actually need money on the side. So every wedding we do, we put the money into what's called the pastor's discretionary fund. And that goes between two and $8,000, depending on how many. When it gets too low, we might kick a little money in. But we don't take money for weddings. We've all said we all can put it. We all put money into that. We all draw from that. Uh, if somebody needs something, well, this other thing was kind of a on steroids version of that. So you actually see both of those. But no, the congregation doesn't provide any money for pastors' discretionary use. Yeah, I, I know. And back in Pastor Lesh's day, the pastors all got free cars too. So how far are we going to push this thing? You didn't think that was funny. That was just a little joke. Oh, I laughed. Yeah, yeah but you're a vested party. Because <laughs> Eifert told me about the year when they took the radio way out of his car. He got a new car, but it didn't have a radio. And he's like, what good's a car without a radio? I'm serious. I just, I'm just a reporter, okay? But you see, how, you see how cloudy things get. So now I want to push you all the way back to what if we all just did what Jesus told us to do? I mean, just, just the most simple Christianity. What if y'all did just what Jesus told you to do? What if you just, and this is under discipline and ritual, got up in the morning and said your prayers and went to bed at night and said your prayers? I'm talking about if you can just squeeze out, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me. Amen. What if you could just do that? Because that's the biblical model, morning and evening. That's Old Testament and it's Acts. Until they got kicked out of the temple, like Lutherans got kicked out of the Catholic Church. They went every morning and evening to the temple. It's in Acts. Read the text. What if you just said your prayers? What if you went to the Eucharist every week or even every day? Think about how your life would change. What if everybody tithed and we just, what if everybody had, now you think this doesn't make sense, what if everybody had the discipline to interrupt their selfishness, their gossip, their doubt, what if everybody in a congregation had the discipline to do that, knowing that we're all icky? I'm not saying you're not icky. I actually am ready to retire. I've had enough, and I would not be short on things to do. Um, I don't know. I actually don't have a bucket list. I find that enough things appear. I've got so many things going inside my head right now that I would not. I will die before they all get uh, ticked off. I'd find plenty of things to do. I'd, I, here's what I would do. If, if, if it, I would enter the monastic life here at St. John, which is I'd just sit at the altar and pray for you all all day long. That's what I'd do. Yeah, you could. Because that's, that's what a pastor is supposed to do, by the way. A pastor is supposed to bring you the Eucharist, baptize your children, hear your confession, and pray for you. Well, it became important when you didn't have one. <laughs> If you want a preview, it looks like this. I just drew this out for somebody else this week. Here's the deal. The church goes like this. 
Okay. <clears throat> this is when there's... So, this is contemporary worship where your pastor doesn't wear any vestments and talks about himself a lot. This is Joel Olstein. This is... Uh, the church when it's all about the ritual and if you don't have oil and a candle and a white garment and in Latin and salt and the exhalation, then you didn't really get a baptism. And there's no sermon up here. We're trying to live in the gap right between here and here. Okay? This is full blast vestments, incense, and maybe a little Latin once in a while because that's the language the devil understands. And this is, you know, a little more bare-bones Lenten Lutheran service. We're trying to live in that gap. The sermon became important in Luther's time when nobody preached sermons. On the other hand, if you go to a church where they have a 40-minute sermon and no Eucharist, where is that in Scripture? Because, what's that? No, I know it's your childhood. Because what happens? The pastor, when there's only preaching... The pastor gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So what I always say to the vicars, you can get a bad sermon, but you can't get a bad supper. So we preach for 10 minutes, and then we're done. I write 1,200 words. Vicars get to write 800 words. But I don't write more than 1,200 words, and I know it's going to be 100 words a minute. For me, I just I write 1,200 words. My last sermon was 1,205 words. I don't even have to – I mean, I click it. The last thing I do is click the word count to see if I need to pull some pages out. 1,200 words is what we aim at. Because that's about what you need. That'll be able to say one thing about the text. But the most important thing, and I hear, hear this most important, not because sacrament is bigger than word, but because I can screw a sermon up, but I can't screw a Eucharist up. I mean, you just can't screw it up unless you, in, unless you don't do it. Right? Unless you make up the word yourself. So, so that's my, the, it came, the sermon got to be important when it wasn't important. When there was no preaching, and people had no idea what the priest was doing, then you need to preach and teach about it. When you have all preaching and no Eucharist, then you need to, you know, so you trim things back. Make sense? I was trying to answer your question. I wasn't dodging around. Did it sound like I dodged you? Okay. Yes, of course. Yeah, right. That's what, I mean, First Timothy, it says, a pastor devotes himself to the public reading of the scriptures. And for them, public reading was, of course, those are sermons. You know that, right? The New Testament epistles are sermons. You can tell because they, they, they use the code words at the beginning and the end, grace, peace to you. That's why pastors say that. That's the beginning of a sermon, you know. And the end is when it says, greet all the brothers and give them the kiss of peace. What's the kiss of peace for? There's about four epistles that say, kiss everybody. Why do you kiss everybody? Because you're going to the Eucharist. It's the kiss of peace. That was just the sermon. Paul wrote a sermon and sent it ahead. So anyway, the point, we did almost nothing from the text. But, but, but we did do the text because here's the deal. The text is all about... Hear this in the right way. The gentle discipline of your own life should keep you from disaster. It's like, it's like football. It's like going to work. It's like running your family. It's like cleaning your house. Order is good. Mess is chaos. Right. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Sin isn't good for you. Exactly, exactly. It is, it's great. We don't realize how bad it's going to get. If you think you can do a little sin and get away from it, with it, it's like you always wonder how people embezzle money from banks, you know, and they, they somehow, they, or from a school thing, and they, like, they, 
embezzled $252,000 from the booster fund. And you're like, there's no booster fund in America that has $252,000 in it, right? So how did that happen? Yeah, it was 10 bucks here, and then it was 50 bucks, and nobody noticed, and it's 100 bucks, and you scooch off $2,000. You know, it always starts small. It's, it's the very first sin. Who said that if you knew that, you would, your life would be, actually, if you knew that, you'd be like God, and then your life would, it's the very first sin, right? Just, you just give this a little. Yeah. Really? Murder is easy. Agatha Christie. Huh. That is a great title, though. That is, that's exactly it, right? Because if you don't interrupt it down here, that person annoys me. I hate them. Man, I can't believe that it. I mean, murder is at the top of one of these two, right? I wonder if you could. Um, I wonder if you could. Uh, I wonder if you could go from here today, just thinking about the disciplined life, a gentle, a gently disciplined life, as a gift and a blessing rather than a curse and a burden. Okay, just that's all that that's all the point that God gives you these things for your good. He gives you scripture so you can read it. He he cocks his ear to you so he can hear your prayers. I mean, he he gives you the Eucharist so you can heal up and go out and live a forgiven life. You know, he gives you confession so that you can unburden yourself. I mean, if you could just hear that as he's really trying to help you and not hurt. I mean, I, I honestly have to say the thing I don't understand most in all the, my life right now is people don't come to church on Sunday. I mean, Jesus is there begging you, saying, I just want to love you, and I want to make it right for you. People are like, eh, you know, Christmas, Easter, we'll get that done. It just doesn't happen. The world is too chaotic. It's too disordered. It's too painful. It's too icky. It's too sinful. Right? And we love it so much. And we love it so much. Yeah, right. And, we, we, and that's Augustine. He said, you know, the problem in our lives is we love bad things more than we love good things. Right? We love the lesser things more than the greater things. Exactly right. That's brilliantly said. You were going to say? No, all I was saying is that being a person of faith, it's easy to justify not going to church because you have all these other Absolutely. So you can just say, well, you know, I prayed this morning at the church. Right, right. Or, you know, I'm a good person overall. Christmas or forgiveness or everything. Right. I mean, so it's easy to justify. Right. And then you justify it one week and then you justify it the next week. Absolutely. Exactly. You wake up. It was the, my, one of the great things in the Old Testament is that the Philistines woke up and found they, found they were dead. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing, you know. I mean, it's a Hebrew way of talking about it. So there was a battle and they woke up. The Philistines woke up and they found they were dead. <laughs> it was just like that. You wake up one day and you're like, how the heck? Exactly. I know. I thought it was so... Just sort, just sort of put that away. So you know, just think about that. Try to, try to have this as, try to have the life that Jesus describes as your friend. It's good for you. It, I mean, he loves you. This is brilliantly said. He likes things that the father loves things that are good for his children. It's just like you. I mean, when my kids get hurt, it's the hardest thing to watch. You know, it makes that's what makes it overprotective. You know, it's just so hard to watch your kids. It's the same for the heavenly father. Last thing, women's retreat. Are you really, really interested? All right. Um, there's two. There's at least a couple. So here's what we would love: if there's somebody who wants to be in charge of a women's retreat, that would help us. We don't have a deaconess, and we're you know blah blah. We're not women, so that you know two strikes against us. Now, um, there's a couple of ways you can do this. You've got to kind of figure out whether you want to kind of have a fun thing. And these aren't exclusive, or whether you want to have sort of an intense thing. So we know at least a couple of women who we think would be very good presenters for you. 
which would mean kind of what the men did. It was kind of an evening, a Friday evening thing and a, a lecture talk and then a Saturday morning talk and then in between eat, drink, and be merry. You know, do you want to kind of have something like that that's a little more uh, spiritual, if you will, or do you, do you just like all need to, I, I don't know how to say this room, but do you all need to get together and drink beer? Yeah, just kind of, that's how I'd say it to the men. Now, that resonate. I know that doesn't resonate with you, but, you know. Uh, but, yeah, or, you know, shave your legs or something. I don't know. Whatever you're going to do. <laughs> the only reason I said that is because I had a John Prine yesterday. yesterday. You know who John Prine is? Yeah, so John, I heard of John Prine. She swears like a sailor when she shaves her legs. I'm like, I hadn't thought of John Prine. I just clicked him on Pandora. I'm like, I, and here's the spooky thing. I haven't listened to any John Prine in 20 years, and, I knew all the words. I'm like, oh boy. So that can, that, can ha that can happen to you. Would you please think about that? The reason you need to think about that now in the midst of all your other thinking is we need to get a place and a person, if you want a person. And people, it's like months in advance to get a place, a good place and a person. It's months, sometimes a year in advance. Let us know, okay? All right, so, all right, just to recap, tool belt. Woo! Cut insulation, paint, pause, figure out about a women's retreat, say your prayers, go to the Eucharist, come on Sunday, make your tithe, love your neighbors yourself, and interrupt the flow. And come to Karen Christmas Share next Friday. Okay, now, I promise while I'm in Rome and in Venice, I will pause in St. Mark's. I'll say a prayer. Will I be in St. Mark's on Friday? I'll pause at my favorite icon in the world. Is it the Basilica at St. Mark's? I'll do, I will... I will light a candle for you in St. Mark's. That's what I will do. But I will do it under the way of by grace through faith alone, okay? <gasps> so I'll just say something like, my prayer will be something like this. Hey, Mary, thanks for the kid. He did a great job for me. How's that, okay? Could you go with that? Just, just, so, you, just so you don't have to worry. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks very much. See you soon.